Hello, my name is Rachel Vandenberg, and I am the host of the Travel Leader Podcast. I am excited to welcome today Evan Kaplan from Gecko Hospitality, where he is a partner with the company. Nice to see you, Evan. Thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Nice to see you too, Rachel. Thanks for having me on today. So yeah, just to begin, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Of course. So I am the partner for the entire Northeast market with Gecko Hospitality. We're an award-winning hospitality search firm that specializes in hotel, resort, private club, event management space on the division that I am in. And we are also a restaurant recruiting firm as well. I deliver about a 22-year operational background from food and beverage, from five-star platinum country clubs, private clubs, uh, AAA Four Diamond Hotel Resorts, and critically acclaimed, acclaimed restaurants. That's great. That's great. I um, I hadn't realized your background in food and beverage. Um, I may be, I may have to tap into that someday. As, uh, <laughs> we could use some restaurant uh, staff. <laughs> so. Of course. Definitely not something ever escapes me. It was, it was, uh, I started in the industry at a very young age and now I get to recruit for the industry. So definitely passionate about it, but you know, the, the firm that I represent, the positions that we recruit are far sweeping from food and beverage to chief operating officers. Yeah. So to speak to that, what uh, brought you to move from like operations in the hospitality industry to recruiting? Sure. I think it's, it reflects, it's a great question and it mirrors a little bit about what's taking place in our industry right now from hotels, resorts, private clubs to restaurants is that the quality of life that I was experiencing or lack thereof became an issue for me because I was starting a young family and working 90 to 100 hours a week was not sustainable to have a one-year-old. Um, so being present for my kids' lives was really important to me. And I wanted to ensure that that was going to take place and recruiting in the industry gave me a chance to not only remain plugged into the industry that I was so passionate about, but continue to take that even further and do that without being in operation. So it was really a very good blessing for me to come across recruiting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that you found a different way to serve the industry. And you mentioned a couple of times your passion for the industry, what do you think drives that passion and the impact you want to make? I think that the passion for me has always been the ability to, the passion to serve, uh, not only serve a guest or a member, but you know, serve myself, serve the team, really be an ambassador to what we're doing. Um, just being really passionate about the industry has naturally had that elevate to the surface. Um, so that's really where it comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, you know, I think that's such an important idea, the idea of serving on um, the people that work on your teams. Can you elaborate on what that means to you? Sure. I think, and that's something that's developed over time. I don't think, you know, I don't think anyone is just born a leader or born someone who's passionate to serve. Um, but I think the older I got, the more I started to realize that you know, not just sitting there and being a leader and telling people how to operate, it's really showing them how and showing them and giving them, okay, this is what I take from being able to serve someone and being naturally gratified by seeing someone enjoy themselves on my watch is something that I became really passionate about and took that on. Yeah. That yeah. answers the question. 
Yeah, I mean, so, you know, really, I think what I'm hearing is that, you know, sharing your passion for the industry and why you're passionate about it is giving these experiences to guests. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and modeling and modeling the the behavior as a leader um, to be able to provide them that experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so speaking of you know being born uh, you know as a leader or maybe not, um, you know when when do you think you first felt like a leader in your life? Um, you know it's a great it's a great question, and I think some of us will have different answers, obviously. But for for me, you know I'm, my mind's automatically going to recruiting because that's what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. When we interview candidates who have sports backgrounds, that's typically where a lot of leadership qualities start to initiate and they start to begin. And for me, I'm no different. I started playing soccer and ice hockey at age four and five, big time team sports where you had others that were relying on you to do certain things in games that would create a certain camaraderie. And I naturally started to gravitate toward coaching people and having people pick up what I was laying down. And it happened from a natural perspective. I don't think anyone is really necessarily natural born leader, but they do tend to take initiative on things and tend to be a driving force between the greater group. Um, So I guess it did naturally elevate to the surface that it was something that I was passionate about. Um, But that was really the time where I started to understand, okay, people, naturally gravitate toward me and it wasn't anything that I was necessarily putting forth it was just something that took place naturally and it started to take place in team sports at a young age that's really interesting yeah I think that observation about the experience in sports um, I have three young children myself and they play a lot of sports and team dance and sometimes I'm like oh my gosh there's so much carpooling and driving and costs involved you know you're thinking about like well how will this investment pay off for them you know as a parent that's what I'm thinking about um so I think that's really that's reaffirming to know I'm doing the right thing for their future potential as leaders sure absolutely and I I can attest to that having two young kids I've got a four-year-old and a 10-year-old both involved in team sports obviously the four-year-old's still learning how to do a lot of things but you know, when you're 10, those are really the times where you start to say, okay, this is the benefit of being in a team environment or even on class projects. I think it does start at that young age where you start to really understand, okay, this is what makes up those lessons. And they're so important to learn, even if it's, you know, even if my daughter is not a team person, understanding what it takes to make a team tick and work is is an invaluable lesson to learn at a young age. Yeah. The other thing I thought was interesting is that you're talking about how people, um, you know, in a sports environment started to gravitate towards you um, and kind of, you know, be a perhaps like, you know, a follower um, per se. Um, What do you think is the characteristic that, um, you know, that drew that kind of attraction to you as a leader? I think I've had the ability to put forth a very genuine and transparent energy out into the world. Uh, I've always done that. Learned some hard lessons that way and and probably learned to become a better leader leader over time. 
Um, but knowing that I am off, people knowing that I am authentic and picking up on that, I think resonates with people. Uh, it's, it's followed me throughout my life. I, I've done it since I was a younger kid and I've done it into my professional life. And there's mistakes that you make along the way and there's lessons that you take along the way, but always remaining true to being authentic is something that has served me extremely well. Um, you know, on both sides of the coin, you know, making mistakes yeah. and being authentic can blow up in your face. And it has multiple times. Um, but for the most part, I think it's done nothing but benefit me and serve me in my personal and professional life quite well. Yeah, that's an important lesson. Authenticity and being genuine. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. So you had you know, spoke before a little bit about when you're, you know, seeking out candidate candidates for recruiting purposes. What are the types of characteristics that you are looking for when you are interviewing or um, you know, looking for those characters? Uh, people. <laughs> Sorry. No, that, that's a great question. And one that I could probably talk about for a couple hours, we obviously don't have that time. Yeah. I think, you know, within Gecko Hospitality and the verticals that we, we recruit within hotels, resorts, private clubs, event management companies, leadership always surfaces. It always comes up. And the majority of roles that we do recruit are leadership positions. Um, and oftentimes, the clients that we work with dictate the types of candidates that we are going to pursue. And some of those personality attributes or experience levels are going to vary. And those are going to be diversified within the positions that we work. But at the end of the day, I think some of the most important things that we look for are, you know, we are looking for leaders and there are certain types of backgrounds that we naturally gravitate toward that get us excited. When you, we talked about team sports, if I'm looking for a leadership role and I scroll down on someone's resume and I can see that they were the captain of their lacrosse team in 10th grade, that's not something that we're really going to overlook. That will be something that I would start to probably probe some questions as it relates to leadership. Those are important. Um, you know, in the world of hospitality, there's typically two companies that have the best training programs in the world. One of them is Walt Disney. The other one will probably really make you scratch your head, but I also worked for the group. It was Enterprise Rent-A-Car. They have one of the most world-renowned management programs out there. Uh, granted, I'm not in yeah. the rental car industry anymore, but yeah. there's a certain personality makeup that comes from individuals that come from those types of hospitality organizations. Um, so there, there, there are certain and specific personality traits that we look for. Um, you know, being a team leader, someone who, you know, we can always say it, everyone always tells me they lead by example. We've been hearing that answer for 30 years. Mm -hmm. We look to have different answers to those questions. Um, yeah. Someone who is authentic, someone who is transparent, someone who serves as a servant leader. Um, you know, all the experience is the same, right? I think it always comes down to the individual. If we have five resumes in front of us, they all have the same background it's going to come down to the personality traits of that character of the individual that we typically select. And some of those things are going to stem from leadership. Some of those things are going to stem from some of the failures that they've experienced that have made them better operators. Right. Uh, I know I'm being somewhat vague and broadlining out there a little bit, but that's, that's really essentially what we would be looking for at the end of the day. Um, 
Yeah. But I really, I really do believe in recruitment and recruiting industries that we listen to our clients and they tell us what we go out and look for. It doesn't matter what I think is important. Sure, I have some opinions and you know some firsthand knowledge on what they should be doing, but we really need to go out and do right by our clients and find exactly what they're looking for. Yeah, I think that two things that came up for me was one, um, you know, as an applicant, I think it might surprise people to hear, you know, the other kinds of aspects they're looking at on their on their resume. And that they shouldn't underestimate the breadth of their experience as a whole person, including Mm -hmm. those sports, you know, team leadership experiences or, you know, maybe they've traveled abroad, you know, or, you know, done a gap year or something like that. Or um, that those are things that, you know, don't forget to put those on your resume because they may count. Yeah. And and as you're starting to talk about that, you know, there's. I have a personal preference of looking at resumes where I can tell that a candidate has been through some type of adversity, call it professional or personal. Mm -hmm. Resumes are not all the same and they are not all cookie cutter, but they are also extremely personal because they are us on paper. And you might see, see a candidate who's had three jobs in three years But guess what? That candidate may be taking care of a sick family member. They may have gotten sick themselves. They may have gone through a divorce. They may have had someone pass away. They may have relocated across the country or to another country. So there's all of the resumes really tell a story. And everyone that is on our team that recruits, including myself, really attempts to take a deep dive and to really pull out all of that information and being able to be a third-party recruiter, we get to tell the story of the candidate versus the human resources director that takes out the red pen and just marks it off and says, okay, not a good, not a good fit. Well, there's a story between, you know, a lot of that print that's yeah. on the resume oftentimes. Yeah, I think that that is so important to point out because, you know, I think just speaking from my own experience that uh, my growth as a leader has um, come at a lot of times when I've faced adversity and failure. Sure. Um, And those have been some of my biggest leaps, um, not just when things are going well. So, you know, kind of turning that and looking inwards a little bit, when have you had moments like that in your career and in your leadership? Can you be a little more specific about something where I've had a challenge as a leader? Yeah, like maybe a failure or a time of adversity and how that has shaped your leadership moving forward. Yeah, I think so. I think that's a good question. And there's probably a ton of things that I've learned from, but one, one big thing is that the internal motor and drive that I have inside me has never really changed. Um, it's always been probably, probably too much and I've had to dial it back. And I think being a little bit more overbearing with teams at a younger age has really, and maybe it's just getting older, But it's me just taking a step back and saying, okay, how am I going to be able to communicate my drive and my passion without being too overbearing and overstep my bounds and being too 
I don't want to say aggressive, but probably too forward with what I think should take place versus, Mm -hmm. you know, just saying, okay, this is how it's going to be. And this is the way it's going to be done. You know, that was probably 15 years ago. You have to learn from that and you have to grow from that because when you're in operations, you get put in a position and so many people get put in those positions of leadership way too early. And I was definitely one of those people. You learn as you go. It should probably be the opposite way around. Um, But really, just taking a deep breath, I think, and, and really trying to be able to relate to all different types of personalities on a team has has really put me in a direction where I can lead a lot of different people who have a lot of different mindsets and views of things other than myself. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a great example. Yeah, I mean, I think we evolve as leaders over time, sure. right? And and you know those those failures and maybe you know critical feedback we receive around, along the way, uh, those are only helpful things Absolutely. for us to to transform who we are for sure. Sure. So um, so just kind of changing course a little bit. Um, when do you think there is a moment in your career that you've underestimated yourself? That's a good question. I think I underestimated myself when I got into this recruiting industry. Um, you know, something that I learned over the years and that I was naturally good at was attracting talent and finding the right people for operations teams, whether it be a private club, a hotel, or a restaurant. I was passionate about the interview process. I think I was a little naive to think that it was something that I couldn't pursue. Um, but when I ultimately did, that's a risk, right? You're looking in yourself and saying, okay, I'm going to go out of something I've done for 22 years, try something completely different. How good am I going to be at it? And that was really me taking a deep dive into myself and a little bit forcing myself to try something different. And I way underestimated the impact it would have on my professional life, my personal life, and the level of gratification that I would get and being able to be financially successful to stand on my own feet and do something like that. I think I underestimated the amount of success that I was going to have because it's been enormously successful. And I've taken the business from nothing in five states and created it into eight states with myself and four executive recruiters on my team. And then ultimately winning franchisee of the year three times um, in five years. So it's been it's been an amazing ride, but I definitely underestimated how fast it would go and how good I would actually become at it. But it was really right there. It was just a matter of me changing my the way I was looking at things and having the right vision to say, okay, you can actually be quite good at this. And I went with something that I knew I was passionate about, which was essentially the interview process, but which is talent acquisition. Yeah. So what I'm understanding is that, yeah, it seemed like you were making this really big change and taking a really big risk, but there were already these things inherently that you did well and were passionate about that were very applicable sure. to this new new direction. That's Yeah, absolutely. That, that's correct. Um, yeah. Do yep. you think that, sorry to cut you off, do you think that has, that experience has, maybe increase your threshold for taking new risks? 
I think so. I a little bit. I've always been a little bit of a risk taker. I wouldn't call myself a daredevil or anything, but I've always. <laughs> I haven't been a. Tr- I have never really been afraid to try something new. But as humans, right, we doubt ourselves and we get into our own heads and we say, "Well, you probably shouldn't do this or you probably shouldn't do that." Starting yeah. a business with a young family, having never done it before, is a risk and it's a big yeah. risk. Um, but without taking risks, there's no personal development. So I think I came to a crossroad in my life where it says, "Okay." let's try something new and let's try it. Obviously it worked out pretty well. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's a great question. Uh, absolutely. Well, congratulations on that growth and, and Thank you. Uh, success. That's awesome. I mean, your, your line of work is very much needed in our industry right now. So it is <laughs> all the time it's needed. So that's great. Um, so I think as leaders, we, we get, tossed a lot of things our way um, because we're often in the spotlight and people want us to join boards and things like that or do projects. Um, When are either self-initiated or when you are asked to work on something maybe outside of your regular work or um, to start something new, what inspires you to make that choice or not? We talked about that internal motor. Uh, That's something that I don't think I've ever really been able to turn off and never will. And I'm glad I have it because I'm naturally drawn toward fixing problems. Definitely a solutions driven type of person and always want, I always want to help and I always want to fix. Um, I don't think that's a fault. I think it's a strength. Um, I can probably bite off a little bit more than I can choose sometimes, but who, all of us can, right? We're all humans. Right. I think we could do something. Um, understanding, I'm getting better at understanding what my limitations could be, but never being afraid to really take the initiative to help and to assist. I think that's been a big that's been a big shift, not shift, but it's been a big vision of mine when I got into the recruiting industry, because there's been a stereotype within recruiting that we're all salespeople and we're sitting in a warehouse and we're dialing for dollars and selling positions. I have attempted to rattle the industry where we embrace the trusted advisor space and we become an ambassador to the hospitality industry without necessarily saying, okay, hey, candidate number one, I'm calling to sell you this position. It's, hey, candidate number one, I'm calling for a chance to network with you, see what types of positions you might be interested in. If I can help you, let me know, have a conversation from there. So it's always that passion to help. And I know that I've got to go against the grain and break down those stereotypes and barriers and the people on my team do that. Um, and I know I'm taking your question and shifting it into what we do on a professional level, No, that's um, okay. but really taking initiative is something I've always done. And it's, you know, we talk yeah. about, I get things done. That's always been my motto. Yeah. I, I get it done no matter what, um, if it means staying up 15 hours and just, you know, ripping through projects, that's okay. And if I take on an initiative, um, or a special project, as long as I know I'm adding value and helping someone. I will typically do it. Um, it's just, I just love to help. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like when you see an opportunity to provide that contribution, it kind of then is like a trigger for your intrinsic, your intrinsic motivation 
to go after it and and really yeah to make to to, to help out like you said yeah absolutely and it's that's a hospitalian that's what people in hospitality do it's always we're here to serve we're here to help how can i help um that's always the motto um so clearly you can yeah. see where my background lies yeah i mean and you that's you point out a really a key aspect of you know the type of people that we want to find for our industry how do you kind of dig deeper with a candidate to find out if they have that kind of you know intrinsic motivation and desire to to be hospitable sure i think I think it all comes down to energy levels when we talk to a candidate. Um, I've always been big on that and being able to see through the questions um, and see and understand and ask, you know, the way to get there is asking scenario-based questions of candidates mm. um, and really being able to raise that antenna up on my side when we start to ask the right questions, what would you do in this scenario or how have you you know, in your type of experience, how have you handled this type of scenario? Asking those types of questions will really lead someone to, will lead them down the path. Um, when we ask someone to walk them through their resume or walk me through their background, if they do it in four minutes, they clearly don't want to be on the phone with me or are excited about uh, hospitality. Yeah. If you're walking me through it and you're reading through the entire resume, you clearly don't want to be on the phone. But if it's a good conversation and we know when it is, um, you can hear things come from the heart. Hey, we did this. And when I did this, it made me feel this way. And it's those basic little triggers that we hear when we're talking on the phone um, that will, we can extrapolate the right info to understand, okay, we've got the right candidate. We know what it is. Um, yeah. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, what it um yeah, what it reminds me too is one of the things where I'm, and I'm shifting gears a little bit, but one of the things I'm doing with this podcast is that I'm asking each participant to um, express maybe a challenge that they have, and then one of the future guests can kind of respond to that challenge. Interesting. And the flip side of what you were talking about, you know, you're talking about, okay, evaluating a candidate for these, you know, kinds of characteristics and um and or their overall personality and right now we have such a challenge with hiring people that it's really been flipped to the other side as you know basically as the employer we're being interviewed <laughs> and right. and you know is they want to know is this going to be a, a place that I really want to work and one of our my previous guests um, she actually asked about that challenge about, well, how do we make the industry right now attractive to people to want to work in? I think it's done three ways. And I've been asked that question a lot lately, obviously, with what's going on in the industry, the shortage of what's taking place as far as it relates to candidates being available as long as you're supporting a team member physically, mentally, and financially, you will be able to attract talent. And it's the people and clients that we work with that are going against that type of methodology that are experiencing more trouble with talent acquisition. And we talked about servant leadership and we talked about 
How can I serve? How can I help? If you don't have that type of personality makeup and leadership makeup, no one's coming to work there and no one's coming to help you. And it's, there's a massive gear shift that's taking place in the industry where, you know, I, I wish I, I think I grew up in the wrong age where I worked 90 hours a week, no problem. And would walk out the door and shake my general manager's hand. If you get to 90 hours a week now and you walk out the door you're probably sticking up your middle finger and walking out the door. And that's just, that's the reality. Yeah. No one should be working more than those out those hours. You're, you're no good to anyone at 60, 70, 80 hours a week. It's just, no. there's a lot of things that need to get done to really shore up the industry and prop it up. And it's sad that we've gotten to this point, but it's also an amazing opportunity for hoteliers and private club operators to just prop up everything and create a better quality of life for their team members because they deserve it. And they're going to operate and be at a much higher level serving guests and serving members than they would be if it was, you know, she was on the other foot in the other direction. Um, So it's long overdue. Um, It's long overdue. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, you know, it sounds like the the approach that everybody needs to be thinking about is is really three prongs. You really have to focus on all three, the physical, the mental, and the financial part and not and underestimate the importance of each. Sure. I mean, there's so much going on and, and you know, I, I've always said it. I think people who work in hospitality are just, we're, we're wired a little bit differently. There's no question about it. And every single one of those positions can process more than most people can. Um, but they need to feel good. They need to feel like that $70,000 salary is not going to be stretched out over an 80 hour work week. It means that you're probably making 40, 50,000. So fair, equitable wages, um, being supported mentally means having employment assistance programs, having ways to move up with, you know, taking the initiative to create a development program to understand that you can actually grow with the company in some form or fashion, um, providing them and anything from gym memberships to certain, you know, it's pretty far sweeping to make sure that someone's going to be taken care of on a mental basis, um, financial. And then, you know, there's, there's a lot of factors that come into it, but essentially making sure that team members are feeling good about what they're doing um, is what's going to retain people and attract people back to the industry. Yeah, absolutely. So I have another, um, challenge question because I I actually messed it up in my last podcast. I asked the wrong question because I was having technical difficulties and got distracted. So I'm, I'm, you're getting two today. So the other one, um, my guest, Leo Murphy, um, she's probably, she's a hotel investor and she asked, you know, one of her challenges is really as an entrepreneur, and I think this is a great question for you because you're also an entrepreneur, um, is how do you manage your short-term goals versus your long-term goals? Um, I think methodically would be the first thing that would come to my mind. I'm a very visual person and would literally throw up the small the, the short-term and the long-term goals on a piece of paper, write them out, and then essentially put a plan in place to attack those goals. Um, we're all goal-oriented. We're all driven that way when you're a, an entrepreneur and a leader. And 
I've always had short-term goals and I've always had long-term goals. And I think being hyper-organized and hyper-focused to achieve those goals is something that needs to have pen put to paper. For me, I'm visual, I need to see it. Um, but making sure that those goals are realistic is also key. Um, right. But yeah, really, it's, how do I, so you're asking, how do I measure those or how do I? No, how do you, well, how do you make sure? I think, I think essentially her question was, how do you make sure you get to those long-term goals and how do yeah. they, you know, cause often we get, we kind of get distracted by the short-term, you know, mm -hmm. things that are more urgent. So how do we keep our eyes on the prize? I think you have got to be realistic and you've got to have, you have to be committed to the goals, number one. Um, and number two, there needs to be good planning in place. Um, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of effectively planning the right way, asking my, and really taking a deep dive. Okay. Can my team actually hit these goals? Are they realistic goals and what's the plan to get them there? So essentially really doing a lot of planning to get to those goals, to make sure that they get hit, um, is a big practice of ours. When we do, and then I do an annual business plan every year take a look at the sales from the, the prior year, see what our opportunities are, see what other types of markets we can penetrate, how we can get there, you know, what are the exterior factors that are going to contribute to the sales and what they were last year versus you know, the year going forward. Um, you know, and that's obviously evident with you know, some of the things that have impacted our industry these days. Um, you know, good luck, good luck on planning for things like COVID and, you know, the shortage in the, you know, the looming um, recession, things like that, you know, planning for those types of things are difficult, but it's a necessary exercise to be successful. And you, I've always been taught, you have to have a plan. And if you go yeah. into something and the plan just goes to, you know, the wheels fall off the bus, well, at least you had a plan to start. Yeah. Um, you always have to plan things out and yeah. It, it's a big part of business and what we do. Yeah. So it sounds like, yeah, it's really being very deliberate about those goals and yeah. keeping them, you know, somewhere, even if you're not a visual person, you know, just keeping them at top of mind through some sure. kind of reminders, you know, or a visualization um, and having that plan and making sure that plan is realistic. Um, sure. Yeah, those are those are great points. Well, I will certainly pass that on to Leah, um, um, and I'm sure she'll appreciate those tips. Uh, so, so turning it around to you, um, are there any what kind of challenges are are you dealing with, and how can we crowdsource some ideas from our other our guests? Um, well, if you can find some people to work hospitality centric roles, that would be great. Um, but I don't know if there's really a magic potion to that. I think that encapsulate a lot of things that we're talking about with employers attracting new talent. Um, but that's really the one thing is, is top of mind is really going out there and finding people to, you know, assistance with, I, I think it's really, I think we do a lot of hard work educating ownership groups and REITs of hotel and resort organizations. And then to take it one step further in another area that we recruit in, which is the private club space, you've got board of directors and house committees and chairmen that are up there that don't really work hospitality. 
and they've never worked hospitality a day in their life. And it becomes a little bit of a frustration on our side because it's so difficult for us to communicate what these candidates are going through. And there's also a generation gap. Typically ownership groups have people that have not worked in hospitality and are far removed from professional positions um, and don't understand what these candidates and employees are looking for these days. So there's a lot of education that comes from us to explain and educate our clients on what's actually taking place in the industry. And there's a big gap. Um, yeah. We are getting back to having normal numbers in a lot of these properties and clubs, but it's still slow. And trying to educate people on how to get them back in is, has been a really enormous challenge. So any help there would be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So bridging bridging that gap, particularly between you know yourself and helping these these companies sure. and their their ownership teams really understand um, sure. what's. Well, think about it. I, I'll I'll flip it back onto you. I guarantee if there's a significant other or a friend that you go out to dinner with or go to stay at a hotel and you see that the room service is closed or the pool area is closed and you probably look at the person you're with them, where is everybody? I can't believe they yeah. can't find anyone to work. Well, guess what? Yeah. They're not treating people well. They're not paying people enough. And that's the real reason that that's out there. It's, it's relatively simple. Um, but getting pen to paper to try to change, you know, to, to really flip the script and change the change the narrative here in our industry and make sure that our industry is no longer the armpit of America, because that's what it's been thought of for so long. Um, yeah. You know, that's, yeah. it's just it's a frustrating thing for me, but I know it's frustrating for everybody else as well. But until people really start to take a deeper dive and you know start to understand how we can make the change, it's not going to change. Yeah. I mean, what, I mean, that's it, you know, I think part of it comes with a generational, you know, evolution, you know, you've, you've got to kind of weed out the old guard. I mean, that's kind of, I don't mean it. I mean, that's pretty negative, but you know, <laughs> there's it's, some, a re, it's a realistic one though. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is kind of the reality. I mean, not that all older generations are, you know, not um, able to move with the times. That's definitely not the case. Um, but the other part is the role of leaders in this transformation process of the industry. Um, you know, my observation is that a lot of leaders, like you said, are, are you know, especially in hospitality, are thrown into leadership positions very early on without the proper education or training or support to do so. Um, so do you think that's an area where would help with this? It can't hurt. And I definitely think it can help. I think educating someone on how to be a leader is great. Firsthand experience is always going to be the true test, right? That's always going to be there. But I think throwing someone into the fire, you know, just because someone is a great hotel GM, that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to operate five hotels and go to an area GM or a regional director mm -hmm. at the snap of a finger. You need to be taught how to manage that portfolio differently. They're all unique. Yes, if you're at that level, leadership is obviously something that's already taken place. But I think it's at those junior level positions where leadership really needs to be educated and taught and not just, you know, it's always learned by watching, right? 
we're, we absorb things. We're humans. We absorb things on our own. But being taught those things, if that's a position that they want to go in, they need to be supported and have a clear path of what that is going to look like. So yes, it can absolutely help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of my were one of my last questions is, you know, as a leader, one of the reasons I've created this podcast was to connect with other leaders and to have, you know, authentic conversations. Um, because sometimes it can well, leadership can be very lonely uh, when you're at, when you're at the top and you're kind of doing your thing and you don't really you're in the thick of it always. Um, so if you could fill in this sentence, am I the only one that? As it relates to what you just said, is it any anything in in your you know leadership experience? Um. I would say, am I the only one that gets, <laughs> am I the only one that gets lonely at the top? Um, I think I know the answer to that question, but I know I'm not alone. And it is often, so, it's interesting that you bring that up and I'm smiling just because it is, I just had this conversation before you and I hopped on the call. And, you know, I, I think what I can say is, you know, am I the only one that feels lonely at the top? And am I the only one that feels lonely working in a remote capacity? Um, it's a really interesting thing that I've talked about with my team. Um, I know you're, you're kind of talking about just me and my personal experience, but the people that I have on my team all work remote and we all worked in hospitality and we thrive off human interaction. So video call, video calls amongst our team members, video calls like this are something that keeps me going. If I had to stay on the phone all the time versus when I was in a leadership role and I had 175 people on my team, it's uniquely different. So sometimes, yes, am I the only one that feels lonely? Um, that's that's one yeah. that comes to mind in a leadership role. Um, there's no question about it. Yeah, but human connection is so important and so powerful. Uh, are there ways that you are thinking about seeking that out more, you know, with your team or just in general? It's a hot button issue for me. It's a hot button issue for uh, people that are on my team as well. And I try to come up with as many suggestions as I possibly can. If you sit in a home office for eight hours a day, yeah, it's a great office. It's great. But there's nobody in it. <laughs> it's yeah. just me. So making sure that I go out and I plug into the community by giving back, by volunteering in a couple different organizations, um, by making sure that instead of just watching my kids second soccer practice of the week, I'm not sitting there on the phone and I'm making a million calls to candidates. I put my phone in the truck and I go out and make sure that I talk to some of the parents and do other things to make sure that I still have that sought after human interaction. It's important. Um, making sure that we're going out to eat and doing things where we are social because um, yeah. we're all social beings and we need to have those. Um, and even with my team, I make sure we're on calls as much as we possibly can, just because I want to see the face. I want to see the human interaction. That's important to us um, to be able to have that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, I think we used to take it so for granted and it just happens so much more naturally. And these sure. days we have to really seek it out and, and be intentional about creating those moments. Yeah, I agree. Well, since you are, you're, are all your team members in New England? 
They are, yes. So two are in Connecticut, one's in New York. Oh, yep. great. Well, someday you'll have to have a retreat here up in Stowe at our at our humble yep. sun and ski and in suites. That sounds like a great idea. That's definitely something that we could do. Awesome. Well, that is a great positive note to end on today. I really appreciate you being on the Travel Leader Podcast. Is there anything else you would like our audience to know about you today? No, I don't think so. I'm just thankful that I had an opportunity to get on and talk with you and talk about some of the challenges that we face in the industry and some of the things that we do. Um, and I'm thankful for the time that we had. Awesome. Great. Thank you, Evan, again from Gecko Hospitality, and uh, we'll certainly stay in touch. All right. Thanks, Rachel. Appreciate it. Thanks, Evan.